1: Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a junior-key. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm, I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello everyone and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan and this is episode 118. The Corona Open JBay, the penultimate event of the 10-stop 2022 WSL Championship Tour ahead of September's Rip Curl WSL Finals has been completed with Brazil's Tatiana Weston-Webb collecting her fourth CT victory and Australia's Ethan Ewing claiming his maiden Elite Tour win in Pumping Surf one of the best events of the year, and one of the best ever swells at Jeffrey's Bay. If you haven't seen the highlights already, make sure you check them out on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. You won't regret it. We are now one event, the Outer Known Tahiti Pro, away from the world title deciding Rip Curl WSL Finals, and the current qualifiers for the final event are as follows. On the women's side, you have reigning five-time WSL champion Carissa Moore leading France's Joanne de Brazil's Tatiana Weston-Webb, seven-time WSL champion Stephanie Gilmore, and Costa Rican Brisa Hennessy. And on the men's side, you have Brazil's Felipe Toledo leading Australians Jack Robinson and Ethan Ewing, 2019 WSL champion Italo Ferreira, and San Clemente's own Griffin Colapinto. The outer-known Tahiti Pro running from August 11th through the 21st will determine the WSL Final Five who will compete for the undisputed world title at lower trestles this September and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 118. Today's guest is someone who is one of only two surfers representing an entire continent on the Elite WSL Championship Tour. He's as experienced a J-Bay local as we've likely ever seen in last week's event. And we recorded our conversation on the eve of the event starting. Um, His gracious gift of time actually didn't detract uh, from a round one win the following day. He's in his sophomore year on the Elite Championship Tour, but he's already wowed fans around the world with his poise, style, and grace. Outside the water, he has some pretty interesting hobbies as well. We talk about all this and more, Please enjoy the lineups conversation with South Africa's Matt McGillivray.
0: The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion.
1: Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want.
0: (laughs) 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 I thought we were boxing.
1: All right. We have South Africa's Matt McGillivray, CT sophomore sensation. I don't know, actually, if you guys have freshman, sophomore, junior, senior in South Africa. It's probably like year 10 sensation. Either way, um, opening round one heat at the Corona Open J-Bay, potentially tomorrow, potentially in just a few hours. What are you doing up so late talking to us?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Yeah, I was excited to have the opportunity (laughs) to chat to you, Dave and hello everyone who's listening thanks for tuning in but yeah back home in jeffrey's bay uh the swell slowly picked up throughout the day and i think tomorrow is definitely definitely a run day um i saw in the group chat though they are thinking of starting with women, so i've got that on my side but <laughs> around one heat one of the guys
1: i like it well we certainly appreciate it thank you for coming on to the lineup. But, you know, what, what has been going on for you? How long have you been home, which is where you're from, in, in Jeffreys Bay? Have there been waves to surf? And what goes into your preparation for a hometown CT event compared to other events, if there is a difference?
0: I've been home for the last 10 days since Brazil. I came straight home. It was a two-day journey to get here. It's pretty far away from everywhere. But... Uh, We've had some fun waves here. Uh, Nothing amazing yet. Supertubes has had a quiet month. And this contest uh, seems to be perfectly uh, positioned this month uh, with a nice swell coming in. Uh, We have a good forecast for the event for the next three days. But it's been kind of hard to get ready and test out boards because Supertubes hasn't been breaking up until now, up until this afternoon pretty much. It's been like two to three feet at the biggest But my my dad actually recently got a jet ski. And so we've been taking that to some of the beach breaks around here, which pick up a little bit more swell. And you can use the jet ski to do step-offs and to really get your wave count up. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So um, it's going to be good being home now um, in the off-season using the jet ski for training purposes. And I think it's opened up a few more spots now that I can go visit. Just in this area, some beach breaks, which are pretty sharky. So you want to be on the ski. And if you fall off away, you're like running on water to try and get back on the ski. But <laughs> yeah, we got a few more options of where we can surf now, which is cool.
1: I like it. Now you qualified for the championship tour at the end of 2019. 2020 was the off year because of the pandemic. 2021 was a hybrid year. So this will be, you know, the first time as a as a full-fledged championship tour surfer that you'll get to compete at home and we've seen in the past it kind of swings in either direction for some surfers they have the advantage of all the experience at their home spot that they take that into competition they do very well for other surfers they have to kind of balance out the added hometown pressure and and everybody expecting them to do well i mean notoriously you know jeremy flores at, at home in Hossegor for years and years and years struggled before he finally won the event this will be the first time that you're competing at home, but have you thought about that at all? Have you already kind of experienced the I know this wave better than everyone else because I live here? Or, you know, I am feeling a little bit of community expectations on my shoulders heading into the event.
0: I'm definitely feeling the the pressure and like having that weight on your shoulders of everyone's expecting you to do well at this wave. And I think even like myself, I'm expecting myself to do really well at this wave. This is the one wave I was hoping to get a big result at. So I have to be careful. And I know going into, into tomorrow, that's on my mind. And I'm trying to be careful of where my thought process is going. Like personally, I really want to be as present as possible and enjoying and taking in the experience as much as possible and not letting the pressure get to me. Yeah, I want to have fun and be relaxed so I can do my best surfing. And I was able to surf in the j Open as a wild card back in 2018. So I got to experience that. A little bit and have like the home crowd cheering me on. And I thought I was gonna be super nervous for that, but then when I was up out in the water in the lineup, I actually it felt like I was free surfing. Um and I was in at super tubes, which is usually pretty crowded and like you're only with one other guy or two other guys in a heat. So you kind of get lost in the experience of surfing one of your favorite waves with only one or two other guys out and you have priority for the next set wave. So that dynamic kind of takes your mind of the pressure and you start to have fun and just really enjoy yourself out there.
1: I like it. So we are, as we were talking about, potentially hours away from the start of the Corona Open J-Bay. And as you mentioned, the forecast is getting a lot of attention this year. As one of only two Springboks on the championship tour alongside Jordy Smith, and you actually grew up there, what is your personal read on the kind of waves we're going to be getting for this year's event?
0: I mean the forecast has been looking amazing from two weeks out. Everyone was watching the swell come in. But you have to be careful here in South Africa because often Windguru puts this little cherry at the end of the forecast. So you keep looking and then it just keeps like disappearing almost. Or things change pretty quickly here. So it's not very reliable unless it's three days out and then you can kind of tell what's gonna happen. And Today, everyone thought the waves were going to be a little bit bigger for the first day of the waiting period. But J Bay likes that, sw- that south swell direction. If it's too west, then it misses the bay, and I think that was the case with today. It was too west, so it didn't quite get in. But you could see by this evening, um, as it was getting dark, the swell jacked up from three feet to like there are a couple five foot sets. And then I also got a report from people in Cape Town saying that it's already ten foot that side. So the swell's on the way. And yeah, I think tomorrow's going to be a really fun first day of competition. And then Thursday is the actual big day, and with the strong offshore winds, which is like the iconic Jeffrey's Bay. It's going to be howling, howling winds, freezing cold, hopefully some barrels, and like the classic point break. Um, and then Friday morning is going to be good again. Uh, we might have some onshore wind coming in mid morning or towards lunchtime. So, I mean, with the reduced format, they can finish by Friday morning anyway, so it doesn't really matter. they only need two and a half three days um, so it's going to be a pretty quick event
1: yeah, well, fingers crossed <laughs> we say that now we'll find out when this drops in a in a week here how quick it actually uh, was
0: uh, I said the all touching a wood table
1: yes yes I'm only touching wood at the moment, <laughs> so. but the uh you know you, we we're talking about you growing up there and having a familiarity with the wave, and if you look at the championship tour certainly over the course of its history but particularly over the last two decades and i bring that window up because that's where i've been on it so i can kind of (laughs) speak to it with more authority than what happened before then but we kind of went from a space where there were these venue specialists you know there were pipe specialists there was you know the infamous uh jeffrey's bay nemesis to andy iron sean holmes as a specialist you know the, the venues on the ct while the world's best surfers would come there they would often come up against locals who were really really dangerous. And then flash forward to maybe 10 years ago, the the championship tour surfers got so good at virtually every stop on tour that the specialists kind of stopped being an issue for them in a way, not to say that they're not challenging, but you know just I think the quality of CT surfers got so good and it's kind of continued through this day. If you were to look at the venues that you've had on tour so far, you've got pipe, Sunset Beach, Supertubos, Bells Beach, Margaret River, Gerrijegon, uh, Punta Roca, Saquarema, and now we're here in Jeffreys Bay. It does feel like Jeffreys is still one of those unique kind of waves where having the experiences is still a huge advantage. Is that would, would you kind of agree with that based on your experience on tour?
0: It's it's hard to say, like it's going to be super interesting to see in this event how everyone does and how everyone's looking on the waves. Um, it's, it's such a amazing canvas to work with out of super tubes. And I feel like it's not a very difficult wave to surf just because it's such a, a good wave. I feel like everyone's going to be ripping. It's going to be, yeah, hard to say. Like, obviously there's going to be a few standouts, but I feel like everyone's going to be surfing really well out there. And just from the free surfs, what I've been seeing, uh, the level of, the level of like that everyone's performing at is already so high.
1: Makes sense. We talked a little bit about you qualified at the end of 2019. 2020 was an off year. 2021 was a hybrid year. And a topic of conversation that's come up a lot this year, um, given that we're in the first season of the full flighted redesign with the three-tier system and the mid-season cut, is that is that balance between established surfers who've been on the CT for a long time, who had gotten used to that rhythm of, I get 10 events, we start at the End of february early march in australia we ease our way in through these venues and then pipeline is the end of the year see how it goes to this season where we basically fired everyone out of a cannon right at pipeline in sort of peak winter season at the end of january and then it's this five event sprint to make the mid-season cut you know at the press conference for the corona open jbay you'd mentioned that jbay was your big goal for making the cut that that was the first thing on your mind when you made it Speak to us a little bit about that and about, I guess, just the stress of, of, of the first five events and kind of getting to the end of Margaret River for you as a, as a as a competitor.
0: It was funny for myself because when the tour started, it was kind of a relief and a second chance for myself because after Mexico in 2021, I had just missed the, the cutoff by one spot. I'd just fallen off tour. And so I was back in the Challenger Series and I wasn't sure if I was going to get get chances in 2022 to surf on the championship tour. And I only found out in December after Haliva finished that I was going to be awarded the, the injury um, replacement, the number one, the first alternate spot for 2022. And so everything happened really quickly for me from going from Haleiva, I actually stayed in Hawaii right the way until New Year's, got to go home for two weeks, and then came back to Hawaii for Pipeline. And that's when the 2022 season kicked off, and I was I went from like wondering what I was gonna get up to in 22, 2022 to suddenly being like, okay, I've got another shot at this tour, and I have an- another chance to realize my dream right. and to make this happen. So I was super motivated. I think being through something tough, like just losing out on your dream in, in 2021, really motivated me in 2022 to make it happen and it ended up being a roller coaster for me because i was super confident with how i was going to perform in hawaii i thought i was gonna like get off to a great start and kind of take the pressure off myself and then i only had one ninth place finish at sunset beach so i wasn't safe by any regard and then portugal i got a 33rd and i was like oh this is that's not how you want to begin this this year there's like two more events left before the cut and that was on my mind, it was on everyone's mind. The cuts coming up and we've got to try to take the pressure off because it's getting more and more difficult to surf. And then Bows Beach happened and I was like, this is my event, it's a right-hand point break. I'm from J Bay, like Bows has got to be similar. And then I ended up losing out, or I surfed like my round one heat at Bowls, and like it was really difficult conditions. And then my round two heat in the elimination round, I was at like, Winky Pop. And it was kind of onshore and inconsistent. And I ended up losing and getting another 33rd. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, I've had this another shot to be on the tour and I've blown it. I'm sitting at 29th in the ratings now. I've got one more event and it's a long shot now for me to make it. And so for Margies, I almost took the pressure off myself and I was content with or like I came, to ex- I came to accept the fact that if I had to go back in the Challenger Series and compete on the QS again, I'd be okay with it. Like when, however my year panned out, if I was going to hmm. carry on to Bay, obviously that was going to be a dream come true. But if I had to go back in the Challenger Series and get my grind on again, like at least I'd be traveling with a cool group of my friends and would be traveling. would be going to cool places, surfing, and it's not the end of the world. And then margies happened and somehow everything worked out in my favor and I found the momentum to make heats again and to make, make uh, the smart decisions to like be on the better waves and just make better decisions in my heats and ended up making it above that cut line somehow. And then all I had in my mind was, yes, I get to surf JB now. This is truly a dream come true.
1: It's interesting hearing you talk about that because so many surfers kind of have a similar trajectory when they're in a bit of a slump and then they find their way out. You know, Kelly, I think, had a film or a book or something, letting go about effectively about the same thing, where it's like you have to strike that balance between all these pressures and mid season cuts and results and all this. It's not helping me surf better, you know? So I have to kind of let go of that stuff. And and as you pointed out, like, Feel content with the idea that you'd be on the challenger series with your friends, and it's not the end of the world. But not sort of so laid back and chill that you're not performing, right? So you kind of have to find that like middle lane, which it sounds like you did in in, in Margaret River, which um, it was an awesome run to to see to see you perform there. And then you had a great run after that as well. You know, fifth in Gland, and then back to back ninths in El Salvador and Rio it does feel like the pressure release of, of making the midseason cut ensuring your qualification for the start of 2023 has gone a long way and in other news that you've you've recently signed with channel island surfboards you're working with them on the equipment side you know talk to us about how that came to be and and what kind of boards you've been working on over the last few events
0: yeah for sure um signing with channel island surfboards that's That happened, um, I started testing out a few boards when I was in Australia at Bells Beach and Mar- Margaret River and uh, for the past year I've kind of been experimenting with boards, getting getting a few DHDs, quite a few different Hawaiian shapers, Takoro's, Pang's and um, kind of being a bit of a board haul. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I just, I get so excited about like looking at different shapes and and like I just wanted to see what's out there and then with the With the channel islands and deciding to stick with one shaper now well first of all i got a really good batch of cis and i was like okay like there's something here and then i was needing consistency with my surfboards because when you're jumping around and you're trying to prepare for events it's just you're never going to be fully prepared if you like it's just so hard to like be on top of your equipment if you keep using different shapers and yeah i I found out from Britt that he was going to be keen to work with me And they got me a batch of boards for Oz, and I really liked the the new CI Pro model that they came out with. Um, Yeah, I was kind of amazed that they were so willing to work with me in the first place. It just felt like the right decision like at this point in my career to stick with One Shaper uh, where I can just have that consistency in my boards. And that's going to help me be more prepared for the events in the future. And at least I'll really be have that extra confidence in my equipment
1: it's interesting sean thompson um was on the podcast uh, for last week's episode he went real deep on this because he was talking about his own career and he said look he goes you're always gonna try a bunch of shapers but he was saying you know when kelly was at channel islands or felipe at sharp Eye or carissa at, May- at mayhem or steph at dh he goes the surfers who are able to lock into a rhythm with a singular shaper as you pointed out like You're able to get the confidence to perform every single time as opposed to, I mean, we see a lot of surfers on tour. They will try a bunch of different boards. But I have heard and observed and even kind of listening to you talk a little bit, you kind of get paralyzed by too many options sometimes or you're like, I don't know if it's that one or it's this one. I've got I've got too many options. Um so it sounds like you you've you've hit a nice groove for the time being with Channel Islands.
0: Yeah, you have so many variables in the sport of surfing already. So you want to be able to take one of those variables out and just have something consistent there for you to rely on. And that's where the Channel Island surfboards is is making a big difference for me. The boards are reliable. I know they're gonna go good.
1: <laughs> Looking at the forecast for Bay, you mentioned Thursday is the big day. In your heats on that day, what would be what, what would you imagine is the the biggest board you'd take out?
0: For j Bay, it's funny. You don't actually need big step-ups. I might only ride a one-inch one, one inch step-up. I'm usually on a 6.0. I might be on a one. Mm. The biggest board I have at my house with me is a 6.2. So I've got the option of the 6.2 if it's macking. But um, yeah, I'll probably be on a one and it's yeah the waves don't require that much of a step up out there so we'll have to see how big it gets hopefully we're getting a few barrels down the point but i'll probably be on one of my six ones just one inch step up
1: love it we're gonna take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsor and we'll be right back wslstore.com is powered by shopify Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. about how you you grew up in Jeffreys Bay, but were were you born there? What was it like, where were you born? What was your family situation like? Mom, dad, what did they do, brothers, sisters? And and when did you kind of settle in the Jeffreys Bay area?
0: So I'm from a family of four. I've got uh, two older brothers and a younger sister. And we grew up in Port Elizabeth. Uh, My dad's a civil engineer. My mom's stayed at home and looked after the family. But I used to live like 15 minutes away from the beach in P.E. And the waves are not very consistent there because it's a big bay. Uh, so it's always half the size of Jeffreys Bay. Um, so we'd have to drive out to Jeffreys Bay on the weekends to kind of get surf. And yeah, it was about, I'm trying to remember when, 2012. 2012 is when my family decided to move out to Jeffreys Bay. We are just making so many trips out there for surfing already my parents were like, why don't we have a complete lifestyle change and just make the move? And yeah, so I'm really grateful to my parents for um, making that commitment, selling the house in Port Elizabeth and moving us out here. And yeah, it's been nice. And is,
1: is that the house you're in right now? Same house? It's a
0: different house. Um, we moved once more. We were like, like a couple blocks away down the point and now we're up on the top of the point and we actually have a sea view, which is really nice. So you can pick and choose your surfs. See when the crowd thins out and then heads head out there (laughs)
1: um
0: but yeah i'm really lucky lucky to grow up in this area
1: yeah and and so i'm interested too because i'd imagine i've been there i've been fortunate enough to be there a few times it's such a beautiful part of the world beautiful people i'd imagine that the infrastructure and the schools and the opportunities there's probably more of them in port elizabeth than in jeffrey's bay which is sort of a smaller country town when you guys made the move. Were you then going to school in the Jeffreys Bay area? Were you playing other sports in the Jeffreys Bay area? Or were you still having to commute a bit for that?
0: I was at a public school in Port Elizabeth. And I was in grade nine when we moved out to Jeffreys Bay. And both myself and my second oldest brother, Jono, he was in matric at the time, which is grade 12. uh, We started homeschooling uh, just because there weren't any schools we wanted to be at out here in Jeffreys Bay. It's a very small town. So you don't have many options, like you are saying. Um, so I homeschooled from grade nine to 12. And yeah, my brother finished his last year of school, homeschooling, which was interesting. Uh, we needed some help from my mom and my dad. My dad's good at the physics and the maths because he's an engineer, so he could help out there. But otherwise we had tutors and stuff in the town who were helping us out.
1: I mean, it sounds like your family loves that area. They They love surfing. But for you in particular... And, and I guess your professional aspirations, do you remember a time, I, I guess I, I always love asking this question, like, was there a time for you where you realized like, this? I'm good at this, this could be my job, or was it something that was more gradual for you and it was just always kind of felt like you were on the, that path?
0: Um, it's hard to say. I started surfing kind of late for nowadays standards. Uh, my brothers kind of got into surfing. They had some secondhand surfboards and I was like maybe seven or eight and I like tried to surf on their boards once or twice. But then my family got big into surf lifesaving and the junior lifeguards being a nipper running around the beach in a speedo and a cap, And we we're doing that in Port Elizabeth and we are doing competitions and we were pretty involved. And then when I was about 10 years old, I started surfing um, like properly started doing nippers less and started like just trying to surf at every possible opportunity. And I wasn't that great to start off with, to be honest. I started doing competitions and I could like never make it past the quarterfinals or semifinals. And it took me like two or three years to start getting medals in the, in the juniors and the under, under 14s and then the under 16s and the junior events around South Africa. But I, I really enjoyed it. and. I started to realize that you can't make a career from surfing. And um, I thought, like, what better way to earn earn a living than to surf? And so that kind of became a, a dream from a young age, like going through high school. I was like, I really want to become a surfer one day because I want to be able to travel and surf. I didn't realize how like difficult it was going to be at the time, but <laughs> I guess here we, here we are now at the JBA Open.
1: I was going to say, you made it. Every, everyone listening to this podcast is going to say, like, Couldn't be that hard. He did it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long journey.
1: I'm sure. (laughs) With the sponsorship part of professional surfing, you've had the support of Rip Curl for several years now. When did that relationship come into your life and and how, if it has, like how has it changed from when it started through their support of your qualifying campaign to the championship tour level? Or I'm curious if it's like I get a better bedroom at the Hawaii house now or You know, I like my wetsuits arrive a day earlier than they used to or whatever it is. Like, I'm curious as to how that relationship started and how it's changed, because you're still so young um, as you've matriculated through the system.
0: Yeah. So I started off um, getting sponsored by Ripco South Africa when I was 18. They gave me a small budget to be able to travel to um, competitions, like whatever I chose, wherever I chose to compete at. Um, Obviously, it's in South African rands, getting sponsored by Rutko South Africa. So it's very hard to travel off just because our currency is so weak um, compared to the dollar. Mm. Then um, Ripco was always super supportive uh, with helping me at the Hawaii house. So at the end of the season, when I got to Hawaii, they let me stay in the pool room and kind of let me hang around everyone and get to know who the main guys were. And I met the boss there in Hawaii and he told me, hey, this is how it works. If you make the CT, then you get onto the global team. And then Fletcher's is going to look after you and you're going to start earning dollars. And it's going to make things a lot easier for you. Yeah, that was, that was kind of in, in 2018. When I got told that, and then 29th at the end of 2019, I was able to qualify, and then yeah, Fletcher's like, "All right, well, I'm your I'm your new boss now. Like, welcome to Rip Curl cool International." And it makes a huge difference getting to travel using dollars. Um, so obviously, my budget went up a lot, and um, I actually moved to Australia during COVID because well, I kind of got stuck there because travel stopped, and I was there for the contest, and then. COVID happened, but I was in Oz, and that's where Ripco's kind of headquarters are. So I think that was good for my relationship with my sponsor, just being in the same country that they're based in. They definitely, to me, like, they've they've given me so much support,
1: it's fascinating to hear you talk about, especially that jump from you know Rip Curl South Africa to Rip Curl Global. It feels like it was almost like, oh, why didn't you say so before? Because you were told like, oh, if you get on the if you qualify for the CT, you know, you get on the global team, and that changes your life. And you did it a year later. Like it's sort of like it's a little bit of like, oh, is that it? Okay, I can do that. It's rad to see. And I mean, I think that was actually I I actually I'll come back to this point because I think you touched on something really important. This is something that seems like it's been the case for a a long, long time. The quality of surfers in South Africa is so, so high, like incredible surfers. Obviously, there's a ton of coastline, like world-class waves all over the place. It makes sense that it would develop world-class surfers, but the representation at the championship tour level has probably not been commiserate with how how talented the, the community is in South Africa my understanding and you can heat check me on that is 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 really is that financial barrier of it is very expensive to travel the world to to get out to 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 earn those points to get to that elite level um and the currency thing becomes a huge issue would you say that that's primarily the reason we don't see more south africans on the championship tour
0: it's definitely a big issue for the guys not having the the right backing so that we can travel comfortably Something Geordie Smith told me when I was in Brazil with him now, we are staying in the same accommodation, but he was like, hey, like, I, fi- I finally figured out what you need to do to make money as a surfer. He said, you need to earn dollars and spend rands. And he was saying that because he's he's been living in California for the past 10 years, but he's trying to relocate back to South Africa now. And yeah, that kind of resonated with me. I'm like, yeah, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because I was living in Australia for during COVID and I was earning dollars, but I was spending dollars as well. And like things get really pricey. Yeah, for the South Africans, if you suck on a South African budget, it's really difficult to be able to travel, to be able to go to the different competitions you need to be in. There's extra pressure on you because you don't have the money to be there in the first place. And then... Yeah, you just can't be comfortable too when you're traveling. You might be like four guys sharing two double beds or something. <laughs>
1: right, right. And
0: then also there's the the issue that we have a lot of good waves in South Africa. So you have to be pretty motivated to want to travel overseas and spend all this money to surf in competitions, which are usually in subpar waves where it can be a bit of a grind.
1: Makes sense. I, I do hope that, I mean, this is part of the redesign, but I do hope that that's what... The new three tier system will address to a point where it's, you know, if you are a promising surfer, you can stay regionally and, and, and work on getting results on the regional qualifying series. And if you perform well enough, then you'll advance to the international challenger series, which is going to be expensive to do much more than the regional qualifying series. But at least you would have built that seat up a little bit. Um, and at least your competitive chops to the point where it's like, well, if I can go internationally and perform across this eight event series, then I can make it to the championship tour as opposed to what it was before, which is, yeah, I can compete at home, but I may have to fly to Indonesia or to South America to get into a QS event. That's really, really expensive. Um, but I do like the Jordy Smith thing. It's a bit of nomics there. So he can kind of start teaching us all how to financially plan uh, our lifestyle. He's a
0: smart businessman.
1: For sure. He's a smart man. It, the, the, I think most of the world, I know I did in a large way, um, got introduced to you through kind of two primary lenses, and the the one of those was the Rip Curl film postcards with Morgs, where where you feature very heavily, and and you're kind of the calm, collected straight man to Morgs losing his mind over um over not being on the A team on the Rip Curl side of things, which is really one of the funnier moments in surf film that I remember. And then again, that relationship with Morgan Sibillik, um was showcased pretty heavily in the, the make or break season one on Apple television. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about that relationship with Morgan and I guess just kind of finding your way through, through the pandemic season as well as your rookie year on tour.
0: So I guess, yeah, the first time Morgan and myself started traveling together was in 2019. Uh, we did a did the Europe leg together, myself, Morgan, Chris Safis, and Liam O'Brien. And we had so much fun as a group. We were, we were like the perfect balance of like just the energies, like low energy to high energy, like different ends of the spectrum in our group of, of guys traveling. And, and both Morgan and myself, and like um, we, we, we got good results at these events. And then coming down to Hawaii, we were in a good position to qualify. I, I ended up getting the job done in Haleiva. And then Morgan had to get the job done at Sunset Beach, uh, which was the last 10,000. And he ended up making it right the way to the quarterfinals. And then he got an interference on Stuart Kennedy and lost out. And we were like, oh my, he's just like, he's one ease away from qualifying and he's gone and dropped him on Stu. What has he done? Um, And he came in and then we're chatting with Kiko Carlson, our, our team coach. And he was like, no, it's not over yet. Like, it's just take a breath and see what happens and it turns out a couple of days later after the pipe contest finished Morgan was in the 11th spot and he was the last guy to qualify for the 2020 championship tour and so I was like well, this is insane like we've been traveling together and now we've both managed to qualify so we're going to try to travel together a bit in 2020 and then of course COVID happened so um, I got stuck there in Australia with them. And it was pretty cool of ripcord to, like, make that little movie. Um, and, yeah, I was stoked I was able to be included in it. Um, it was really a, a masterpiece by Vaughn um, and um, Nick Pallett. Those guys are so creative. Um, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun just watching that all happen. And then in 2021, I got to travel with Morgan as our, our first rookie year using Jay Thompson bottle as our coach and yeah it was a perfect dynamic with him being kind of crazy impulsive and me more like calm and steady in a way and then Botsy just like managing us both making sure we kept our focus. (laughs) We've grown a close relationship I guess and like he's become like a brother to me and It was awesome supporting him last year as he made it to the final five. And I stayed on in California with him as he got ready for trestles and then like watched him in that event. And then I went on on the QS on the Challenger Series. I went to Huntington and then Europe and continued on and he went back home for uh, the off season. I don't know. It was crazy how now this year everything's been flipped around a bit. But yeah, I wish we were still traveling together now. Like I was chatting to him. He was up in Belito, and... I wanted him to come stay with me at JMA during the event. Of course, like, yeah, it's just worked out the way it's worked out. And he's had to walk this harder road now, which I think is, is going to be really good for him in the long run. Of course, it's really tough, but I know he's going to come back stronger from it because he's got so much experience from last year. He's surfing so well. and He's just waiting for the pieces to fall into place now. Um, but yeah, I miss traveling with him because now I've lost my travel buddy.
1: <laughs> That's- i don't know we need to get him back on tour so you can feel whole again and he is one of those guys that i think he surprised everyone i mean he 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 actually came on the lineup like right when postcards from morgues dropped and the conversation is basically 60 minutes of him being like i can't believe i've qualified (laughs) and i'm like yeah me neither like because and and not because he wasn't talented but just because it's like wow you're you're young and kind of really came out of nowhere and he I think that similarly to what you're talking about earlier about letting go and 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 pushing some of that stress away, I think that served him so well last year and, and he served so so well and as you said he made it to the Rip Curl WSL finals and then I actually feel like he's still surfing maybe better than ever um now and obviously he's still so young and the results just didn't happen for him in the first half of the season he's been relegated to the challenger series so I, I back what you said. I, I think that experience is going to serve him really well in the long run. I hope we see him back on on the CT pretty soon here. Um,
0: yeah, because um, he's, no a, doubt he's will, a huge talent. Sure. B-
1: bringing it back to um, to South Africa for a moment, you growing up in Jeffreys Bay, you know, as it stands in 2022, the most watched, I think this is correct, video surfing video on YouTube. If you remove like music videos and stuff like that, is still the 2015 shark attack on Mick Fanning at the finals of our, our jbay event 32 million views or something which isn't surprising because it sort of unfolded on broadcast as it would if you were like spielberg were directing it basically you mentioned you got the ski with your dad you're able to to go to these different locations and, and catch a lot of waves that in spots that are really really sharky have you ever been or are you um, scared of surfing at home, um, and is it on your mind? And have you had any run-ins with with sharks when you're over there?
0: It's funny. I've always felt safe surfing at the points around here in Jeffrey's Bay. Maybe it's just because I've spent so much time in the water; it's become like a, a familiar thing for me. And whenever the water's a bit murky, like I will keep my feet up on my board. I won't just dangle my feet in the water, but yeah, I've never, like, thought too much about sharks here at Jeffrey's Bay. Um, when that attack did happen, or the Mick Fanning incident.
1: Yeah, whatever we're calling it. These yeah, the,
0: the, <laughs> yeah, I think the shark was, like, swimming past him and wasn't, like, in my opinion, meaning to attack him. I'm not sure. It like, got caught up in his leash and freaked out, and then everything went down. But I actually went surfing um, an hour after that. Like, they cleared the water, and then there were about five or six people who went surfing after the contest was canceled. Now we're not there at supers and us. The thing with with Jabe is there are sharks around, and whether you see whether you can see them or, or not, they're going to be there in the water. And usually they're just swimming up from the beaches and they swim past the point, but they don't stay in one spot. They always just pass through. And I've seen this um, because my brothers done the shark spotting for the event before. My family actually owns the. Little white airplane with those super long wings that does the shark spotting during the event. And my brother would fly as the pilot. He's not doing it at the moment, but in the past, he would fly as the pilot looking for these sharks. And they would see like 20 or 30 great whites, like down at the beach breaks, which are like 20 kilometers from here. And there'd be like a whole lot of juvenile sharks hanging around that zone. And then about once a day, they would spot a great white swimming up the point. And it would like swim, there'd be bunches of surfers at each section, and they'd kind of like circle where the shark was and try to wave people out the water, but people couldn't really tell from the aeroplane what was going on. And the shark would kind of swim, not in a straight line, it would swim in wherever there was a group of surfers, and kind of like pass people without them realizing, and then back out to sea. And then at the next section, I kind of swim in slowly, check everyone out, and then swim back out to sea. And at the very last spot in J Bay kitchen windows, I think there was even like a guy lying off a surfboard, and the shark actually swam, when my brother was watching, it actually swam right underneath the guy he was just lying off a surfboard, completely oblivious. And um, it goes to show you that like, we have no idea that they're in the lineup with us probably every day. And I guess it's a risk we're willing to take, but we're in their home. It's, it's a weird one. At, it, it, at certain, in certain places in South Africa, like I'm okay to surf with sharks. Like Jeffrey's Bay, I'm fine to surf here. I feel safe. But if I'm at somewhere like Klettenberg Bay or like two hours up the coastline towards Port Alfred, then I'm like freaked out about sharks again. And I'm like thinking about it a lot. But then when I'm home in a familiar territory, I'm not thinking about it. So that's kind of how it goes with me
1: makes sense. But you're also we talked about a little bit sort of you being this awesome foil with, with Morgan. You're a pretty zen, calm kind of guy because you know, outside of surfing, I'm of the understanding that you know, your other interests include skydiving um, and base jumping. So tell us a little bit about that and how did you get into it? How much do you do it and and, and what do you get out of it?
0: Yeah, so I started skydiving when I was 17 or 18, but it was always a dream of mine to get my skydiving license, and from watching YouTube videos, I decided base jumping looked like a really good idea. And yeah, anyway, my, my brothers are also big adrenaline junkies, and so they actually did their skydiving licenses before me, and so I kind of had no choice. <laughs> my dad's always pushed like the adventurous spirit on our family. Um, yeah, anyway, my brothers started doing their skydiving licences and then I started doing mine, got my skydiving licence. I decided that skydiving was actually scary enough and I wasn't too sure if I was going to start base jumping because I was like, this is pretty dangerous already and there's a lot going on and it's scary but a lot of fun. And then uh, my older brother, John, was Jono, like, um, he was like, hey, I'm going over to America. I'm going to go to a base jumping school. And do a two-week course you can come with me if you want but if you miss your chance you're never going to do it and I was like, uh, yeah okay i should probably go with him because i'm going to regret it if i don't and so in 2018 i went to idaho with my brother and we did a two-week base course at this place called the snake river base academy where we learned how to pack our parachutes and then all the dangers of base jumping what can go wrong and just how to do it as safe as possible. And then when I got home from that, uh, my dad actually bought my brother and I parachutes so that we can base jump at various places around South Africa because we actually have a few cool objects close by to my house, which you can jump off. And yeah, it's kind of a strange hobby to get into. Um, it's like more of a thrill-seeking thing, but it's, it's something I really enjoy and um, I'm going to try to pursue more um, in the off-season now. Um, Already when I got home now from Brazil, I was able to go for two base jumps at Bloquence Bridge with Jono. And then I also got to do two skydives today, which is pretty fun Um, since it's been a while since I've skydived just with all the travel. Yeah, it's something I get a good rush from and I enjoy the mental challenge of it and dealing with fear and being outside your comfort zone. Um, Yeah, it's challenging, but really rewarding at the same time.
1: I can imagine. Is there, when you finish a a skydive or a base jump, you know, you have all the the anxiety and the prep time and the adrenaline of actually doing it. Is there a period of time at the end of the day after you've done one where you feel like, you know, differently or you feel like a moment of clarity or you feel like your body is sort of releasing tension in a way that you, you... I don't know. In a way that I'd imagine is sort of advantageous to just training as an elite athlete as well as just working out your body's biochemistry that way.
0: I guess so. You you definitely feel a lot of relief when your parachute opens and when your feet are safely on the ground. You're like, wow, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad yeah. to be here. And it can give you a bit of perspective too because you realize how fragile life is, and you don't want to take each moment for granted. So you got that side of things, and then also. You got the, the, the pushing yourself out of your comfort zone side of things where you're challenging yourself and you're feeling the fear, but trying to do it anyway. And then the discipline side of it as well, where you got to be really focused when you're packing your parachute. You know, this is the only parachute you have, well, especially for base jumping, you're not going to have another chance. So you got to make sure everything's done 100% correctly and that you're confident in, in what you're doing. And so that's kind of like a meta. Meditational, almost when you're packing your parachute and then i think after after you jump that's just like adrenaline which feels pretty good and like you question yourself before you're wondering why you're doing and then after you're like oh i'd love to like we should pack our parachutes and go again as soon as possible
1: (laughs) i like it well we got a couple more topics to get to as well as some listener questions but we're going to take one more quick break and we'll be right back
0: Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts.
1: We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest.
0: We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal.
1: Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code lineup 15 That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right, so so ideally, based on your your forecast pre- prediction from the start of this conversation, by the time this episode airs, the the Corona Open J Bay will have been finished. You will have won your 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 maiden CT event at home. It's going to be really exciting, um, and then we have Tahiti coming up. What is your experience, if you have any, out at Chopu?
0: I went to two QS1000s back in 2016 in Tahiti. The one was at Rangiroa and the other at Papara. And after the Papara QS, I was able to go to Chopes for two days and it was three to four feet, super fun, glassy, nice little barrels and nothing compared to like what I've seen during the event or what I've just witnessed this, this past month, about a month ago with everyone scoring at Chopes. Um, so no, I haven't experienced proper chopu and I'm not sure what to expect. It looks looks like uh there's no wave that comes close to it. I've been trying to get some tips from Morgan because he actually he's done one Red Bull trip to Tahiti already and he's doing another now before Huntington. So I was asking him about boards, what boards are on, and like how do you find the wave, what's it like compared to pipeline? Is it similar to pipeline at all? And yeah, it's just the wave is such a different animal to anywhere else in the world. So I'm not sure what to expect, but it's going to be a good challenge. And I'm excited. It's going to be hard to get waves and free surfs, but during a heat, it's going to be interesting having priority. So I'm not sure if you're going to accidentally paddle for a wave and lose priority on purpose. But we'll see what happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a <really, this> <laughs> galaxy brain thinking right there. Well, I'm curious, though, too, since you grew up in Jeffreys Bay, which is... Um, inarguably, one of the world's best right-hand point breaks. Even just developing your backhand surfing, or developing your backhand surfing in in real slabby waves of consequence. You mentioned Pipeline, um, you know uh, Chopu as well. When you were developing as a surfer, I don't know, used to are, but when you were younger, how did you go about saying, okay, I I really have to go find some laughs.
0: Uh, it was really difficult coming from Jeffreys Bay to find the motivation to say, let's go find some lifts and the, the beach breaks we have around here aren't the best. So it actually didn't happen too often. Um, my backhand's been a big weak, like big weakness over the last couple of years, something that I've only started working on now, like intentionally in the past since last year, when I realized just how much it was disadvantaging me, but I feel like I'm making some progress now. I still have lots of work to do, of course, but it's definitely difficult coming from the land of right-handers down here. So it does take discipline just sometimes giving up better waves to go surf worse waves just because you need to work on something. Yeah, of it will happen more and more, I guess. Um, that's my goal in the off season. Now it's nice to get some time where you can just work on your weaknesses and try to turn them into strengths.
1: And I'm glad you brought that up too, because you, you mentioned how you know you weren't even sure what was going to happen this year, and then you weren't even sure what was going to happen after the mid season cut. And it's sort of this—you got to be nimble and adaptable and and flexible, you know, to be a professional surfer these days your goals now that you're a tour sophomore now that you've you've made the qualification for the start of 2023 you know is it top 10 is it final five and and i guess when i'm asking i mean i'm sure it's like yeah i want to win 10 world titles but you know looking at 2023 what's the goal for 2023 and then where are you going to be in the off season to to work on that on those goals
0: so a big goal for this year for me was to finish in the top 10. And that's been a, a childhood dream since I was, since my junior career. I was like, I just want to be in the top 10 in the CT one day. And now I feel like I'm close to achieving that. I still got some work to do. Um, but hopefully I can make that happen this year. And then next year, I really want to keep climbing the ladder and start progressing towards that final five. So those are my two big goals.
1: And so after Tahiti, potentially after Lower Trestles, where are you going to be in the world to work on these things for 2023?
0: I am not so sure yet. I guess I'll hopefully have some time off at home where I can just really reset and make sure I'm not burnt out at all from the year. But then I'd love to use the jet ski that we have now to explore the South African coastline and to go score waves around here because it's still we're still getting waves in september and yeah we we have so many so many like quality waves around the country that you don't really need to do a surf trip overseas unless you want to go find somewhere warm but if you don't mind wearing a wetsuit like we've got plenty of options to choose from down here so i'm, I'm going to spend a lot more time in south africa i think um in the back end of the year and then if there's any strike missions i don't know what's possible but um, i am planning to go to hawaii in december to work on boards with brit because we want to get a good step-up model going with cr and so excellent um, yeah i want to be con- i want to be confident on my cr boards in hawaii coming into pipe in and sunset uh, next year so that's what we'll be doing in the off season in december
1: makes sense Well, before you go, we we did put out a feeler to the folks that follow us on Instagram at at the lineup pod and also on Twitter. We appreciate everyone following and writing in. Um, We've whittled it down to three questions. First question is from at Johnny underscore uh, Deshezare who asks, how many times have you been chased out of the water by sharks?
0: Yeah, at Johnny, uh, zero times. And once again, I'm touching wood.
1: Zero. I like it. Second question is from Et Aiden underscore McCall, who asks in South Africa, do you find it important to give back to indigenous people? And if so, how?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we have uh, a community right next to Jeffrey's Bay. Uh, it's called Pelsteris, uh, which is, um, it's where like the informal settlement starts. It's hard to explain. In South Africa, we have towns or cities and then, on the side of each town and city, there's like a like an informal settlement where the where there's a lot of poverty, and um, there's now two programs here in Jeffreys Bay. We were just at the at the one a couple of days ago, um, which Sharon Crock has started up with. It's it's uh, there's Wavepoint Church, and then the other one. Oh, sorry, I've gone blank now. But yeah, they're getting they're getting kids to go surfing, and and that's that's the gist of it: getting kids off the street and into the water yeah encouraging that and yeah trying to get involved where i can there and obviously when i have more time in the off season i can get more involved i want to try and give back more in surfing it's a very selfish sport there, there are ways to give back as a surfer and so with these two outreach programs in my town how so i want to be able to do that
1: very cool and the last question is from Et grant underscore do underscore Prees 46, who asks, what has been your craziest base jump?
0: God. Uh, my craziest base jump was with my brother in Slunghook. There's uh, this big cliff. Um, it's just outside Cape Town, uh, about an hour, hour's drive outside Cape Town and the cliff's about 500 meters high. But it took us three and a half hours to hike up there. And then my dad had to drive the car all the way around at the bottom. But we were able to free fall for like only free fall for like five and a half seconds. My brother went for eight seconds. And then we got to fly our parachutes all the way down this big gorge and land in the field at the bottom and then hike out of there. That was the most memorable base jump I've done so far. And I want to head back into Cape Town. When I get a chance to do a few more base jumps, because uh, yeah, it's pretty cool getting to jump off Table Mountain, and uh, it's kind of a mecca for base jumping down down that side. And uh, the the organisation I was trying to think of is the Surf Alliance. Um, that's just opened up here in Jeffrey's Bay, helping the oh, very disadvantaged cool. kids get in the water and helping with um, other issues also around town.
1: Wonderful. Well, thanks to everyone who wrote in at at the lineup pod and thanks, Matt, for those uh, answers. We're now down to the final segment. This is the lightning round. So these are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. First question. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer or finless, which would you choose?
0: I have to go thruster. Just because I haven't really um experimented with too many others. I write a twin had points in front of my house because it's a flat wave, but uh you just have so many more options with a thruster setup.
1: Coffee or tea?
0: Coffee for me.
1: Burrito or pizza. Burrito. Last book you read.
0: Uh it's one that Griffin recommended to me when I was staying at his house. And it's a it's a mental book. But it's all about getting in the zone and manifesting things i'll forget its name now but uh, it's one of those mental books recommended by griffin Colopinto.
1: Oh, i like the i like that griffin has a book club that's excellent dude. that's a that's a better answer than of, what book kind of you doing
0: recommendations hit them up
1: uh okay next question best surf film ever a trilogy mm. one wave you never have to go back to
0: manly beach
1: if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life super tubes best person to share a lineup with
0: Probably my dad because he won't catch any waves.
1: <laughs> Worst person to share a lineup with.
0: I'm gonna throw Cullen Robson under the
1: bus. <laughs> he, he is someone who catches a lot of waves.
0: <laughs>
1: He's a wave magnet. He's always on the nose. Good surfer. He's a wave. Ab- I mean, I mean, unfortunately, the last time I saw everyone was in garagegon and I'm pretty sure he would catch multiple waves in every set. I was really impressed. Um. Okay. Last one finish this sentence i will next achieve a state of happiness by
0: i will next achieve a state of happiness by tomorrow morning
1: i love it maddie mcgillivray thank you so much for coming on the lineup thank you for coming on you know hours away from what could be an epic day at jeffrey's bay it's been awesome to watch your career so far look forward to seeing what you do in south africa tahiti and uh, yeah, man, we'd love to have you back. Maybe maybe uh, in California around the finals, we'll, we'll lure you back on the podcast.
0: Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I'd love to chat again soon.
1: So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with South Africa's Matt McGillivray. I hope you enjoyed it. There is one final event on this year's WSL Championship Tour, the Outer Known Tahiti Pro from August 11th through the 21st, that will determine the WSL Final Five, who will compete for the undisputed world title at September's Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles. It will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer, with our direction by Jason Penning, copywriting by Dan Willen, and additional support from Miguel Clemente. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Khoisan indigenous people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you next Tuesday.